following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Let freedom reign. We are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Our nation stands as a nation that is free from tyranny. We have religious freedom. We have the ability to exercise uh, the love of the God that we choose to serve. Uh, But those freedoms and those liberties came with a high price for many. Uh, We we look at this holiday as our Independence Day, uh, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, uh, we have, as Americans, several documents uh, that prove that, that are written for that, that secure that. Uh, we have our Declaration of Independence. Uh, we have our Constitution that lays out the laws that we are to be governed by. While we have freedom to live our lives the way that we choose, there are still some confines that guide us. Through that, we have laws in place. Uh, our Second Amendment, like many of you, I, I believe in it. I practice it. But that just doesn't give me the ability to go out and do as I choose, anytime I choose, anywhere I choose. I have to fall within those guidelines uh, that our government has set in place. What about the Christian? What about the believer in God? What kind of freedom do we have? Are, are there documents in place? Are there letters in place? Are there places where we can go that actually claim and, and prove to us that freedom and that liberty we have. Is there one thing in particular that we can look at? Just a moment ago, we set our pledge to the American flag, the stars and stripes, oh glory, red, white, and blue. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the government for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And then we turned and we looked at the Christian flag. Is Is that our symbol? Is that our hope? Is that where... All of our future rest is right there. And in that pledge that we said, is there one thing that we can look at that demonstrates our freedom and religious liberties that we have as Christians? The book of Romans uh, is where we'll be at this morning, Romans chapter 5 in particular. If there was ever a constitution for Christianity, if there was ever a declaration of independence, that we could say this is a letter that proves our freedom and our liberty that we have been provided for through our Savior. I think the book of Romans would be it. Uh, from beginning to end, you see Paul writing to this church that he probably never visited. He had hoped to go to Rome. Paul was hoping to take his missionary journeys as far out as Spain, but never made it that far. He went through three complete missionary journeys. When he wrote this letter, the church at Rome was already established, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, obviously came from this church before coming to Corinth where they had met and worked with Paul, served along beside him in their ministry. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage the Romans. And he begins in chapter 1 through 3 uh, with the impact that sin has over all humanity. But when he gets to chapters 4 and chapter 5, he starts talking more in particular to believers at the church of Rome. Chapter 4, he talks about how we are justified by faith through grace. And then in chapter 5, he goes back to that original sin, how it impacted all of mankind. And he begins using some legal terminology, words that you would find uh, incorporated in a court of law. 
Words used by a judge or a defender, an attorney maybe. Uh, Back in those days, it was words that they were very, very familiar with. So the first word that we see uh, is the word condemnation. Condemnation, beginning at the very, very front end of it. Point number one, all human life begins in condemnation. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, All of us, because of our sin nature, because of that original sin, that fall of humanity, we have all been condemned to death. First man and woman, Abbott and Eve, they lived a perfect life in a perfect environment. They were set to live forever until that first sin corrupted that. Not only did it corrupt their eternal life, it also corrupted their relationship and fellowship with the God that loved him. So if you're in your Bibles now, Romans chapter 5, let's all stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read verses 6 through 21. It's going to be kind of lengthy, but I think to get the full picture of it, uh, we need to read all of that. Beginning in verse 6, Paul writes this. He says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps a good man Someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't have that verse highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I would urge you to do so. I would encourage you to just mark that down, meditate on it, let it marinate in your mind and go back and read it time and time again. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Somebody should be shouting amen on that one. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, here's the condemnation part. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And that word all means all. That's all all means. For until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That word imputed is one that we're going to look at here in just a little while. It is a bookkeeping term. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense 
judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Here's the shouting part right here. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned to death, even so might, uh, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father God, we thank you for this amazing book of Romans. We thank you for your word, Lord God. Overall, we can look at it. We can see your love for us in each and every book of the Bible. But most importantly, we can see what you have done, the justification that we received through the blood of Jesus Christ only here in the book of Romans. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his work and for this incredible letter that he has written to us. We thank you that as Americans, Lord God, we have freedom and we have liberty and we have the ability to worship you as we choose. And I pray, Lord God, that we will never take that for granted. And Lord, as Christians, we can look and we can see that the shed blood of Jesus Christ has freed us from so much more. And God, I pray that we would never take that for granted either. But I pray that we would take that message of hope and freedom And your ability to save us from sin to a lost world. Speak to our hearts now, Lord God, through this message. Speak to our hearts through this word and this passage. I pray, Lord God, that you'll speak to me the things that we need to hear today. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to take and walk you through this. We're not going to necessarily follow the passage step by step. But as far as being free from sin, we're going to walk through that step by step. And the first thing that we need to realize is that because of our sin nature, we are condemned to death. And a person who does not repent of their sins, a person who does not profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are condemned to eternity in hell. Just like the judge is saying guilty, Just like the judge is saying your penalty is now a sentence of death, so is the person who lives in sin and is apart from the saving power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are condemned to die, and they are condemned to spend an eternity in hell. The first term here is the one used to declare a person guilty, and that word is the word condemnation. And so for the person that is separated from God, They are still guilty of sin, and the penalty is condemnation. As a human, we're all condemned to die, but apart from Jesus Christ, a person is condemned to eternity in hell. It's more than just a lifelong sentence, and it's more than just a fine or a one-time penalty. However, for the person who has surrendered their life, to the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of their sin. Paul writes later on in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now 
no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're here today and you profess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have no condemnation on your life whatsoever, according to Romans 8.1. But if you're here today and you're still guilty of that original sin, you have not professed your sins and you have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and committed your life to Him, you are still under that penalty. You have not been justified. Your sins have not been washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're headed straight to a sinner's hell. But when a person, by faith, accepts the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they turn and they repent from their sins. They are no longer condemned to die. The righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, declares them not guilty, and they are free of any and all condemnation. That is a word that Paul mentions here, known as reconciliation. At one time, we were all enemies from God. We were all separated from God. Because of our sin, we had no fellowship. We had no relationship. We had no ability to approach God on our own. But then the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ fell upon our lives, and we have been reconciled through The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two. We all stand in need of reconciliation because of our condemnation. Each and every one of us at some point in time. If we have yet to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We stood in need of our relationship being reconciled to the Lord. He mentions it several times in this passage but specifically in verse 10. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The word reconciliation, it means to be made right with. No longer enemies. We are at peace with God. He actually says that time and time again. Verse 11, it says this is something that we rejoice in. Not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have been reconciled. Folks, if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you have reason to rejoice because you are no longer in condemnation. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God himself has been reconciled. You're no longer enemies with the Lord, but you're at peace with him Look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. That's how he starts off this whole chapter. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Folks, here today on Independence Day, In just a few days, we have a gift of freedom. We are no longer enemies with God. As a Christian, you are now at peace with God, and you have a reason to rejoice. Not only as Americans do we get to celebrate our freedom. Yesterday we saw people, they were exercising their rights. They were exercising their freedoms. They were exercising their privileges, but it wasn't in a way that I would normally celebrate. That was their right. That was their uh, freedom as an American to do as they choose, drink what they want, eat what they want, 
sing what they want, listen to what they want. But as a Christian, we're under a much more deeper obligation than that. We have been separated from this world. We have been made different. As a child of God, we are under obligation to conduct ourselves as Christians. The gift of freedom. We, we are free to live our lives that we choose. As a Christian, we are free from the penalty of sin. But that doesn't give us the right and the privilege to go and do as we want to. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And when you are under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean you have to go out and sin more to make grace much more sweeter. The Bible says we should walk as Christians. We should conduct ourselves by following the Holy Spirit. Those who are following the flesh live in the flesh. Those who are following worldly privileges, you can tell that they are not a child of God. But this gift of freedom that we have as Christians, we have been reconciled with God. We're at peace with Him. We have reason to rejoice. We have reason to celebrate. But that doesn't give us to go out, uh, the right to go out and live like the rest of the world lives. Through Jesus' death, we now have life. We have life everlasting and life more abundantly. I had a blast yesterday. I got to cut up. I got to visit with some people. And you know what? When I woke up this morning, I didn't have a headache. <laughs> I wasn't sick. I didn't have an upset stomach. I can still rejoice. I, I was looking forward to getting up this morning and coming and worshiping and praising the Lord. I exercised my freedom yesterday to go out and talk to people about the Lord, invite them to church, and just shine a little light in a dark world. But this morning I got up and said, I have an even deeper right and freedom to exercise. I have the freedom of religion. I have been reconciled with God. And now, as often as possible, I like to get together with God's people. That, that is my gift of freedom. And I'm going to exercise it as much as I can. Because I am no longer an enemy of God. I have been reconciled through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as in a court of law, Paul says someone comes in, they're guilty of breaking the law. They're guilty of sin. They are condemned. But when they're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are reconciled to God. No longer enemies. They are declared righteous through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also uses another word, point number three. Only through the shed blood of Jesus can we receive Justification. Justification, one of the strongest words, one of the most powerful words in the Bible. When you talk to someone about salvation, when someone says, I have been forgiven of my sins, when someone says that Jesus died for my sins, and now I can live with this gift of freedom from the penalty of sin, that means they have been justified through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, what does it mean? It simply means not guilty. At one time you were condemned to die. At one time you were in need of reconciliation. And as soon as you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that your blood was shed for the atonement of my sins. In God's eyes, you have been justified. And it was just if you had never sinned before. 
That's one easy way to remember what that word means, justified. Justified never sinned. God says, you believe in Jesus, you accept him as your Lord and Savior. I have provided him as a gift of salvation for you. And whenever you become a Christian, whenever you confess Jesus as your Lord, in God's eyes, he declares you not guilty because Jesus paid the price for our sins. Justification simply means not guilty, but it goes much, much further beyond that. Verse 9 says that we have been saved from the wrath of God. Under that condemnation, under the original sin, when you were in enmity with God, God's wrath was coming upon you, and there was nothing you could do to stop it. But Jesus stood in your place. He said, you know what? I'm going to die for their sins. I'm going to take the wrath of God upon me. And that day on a hill called Calvary, 2,000 years ago, on an old rugged cross, all of God's wrath was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took our sins, past, present, and future, right there the day he died. And that sin was so ugly, so wretched, that darkness fell upon the land. God couldn't even look as he put the sins of all mankind upon his precious darling son. And now we are justified because of his shed blood. We have been declared righteous through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the actual Greek translation of the word justifies means to acquit. It means to remove the guilt. It means to be released from the control of. In other words, before you became a Christian, before a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they are standing before God as a righteous judge. And he is ready to throw the book at you. He's ready to say you are guilty of every sin you have committed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ steps in your place. He says, you know what, I'll take that. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to spend eternity in hell. And I'm willing to pay the price for a sin that I never committed. And all of the wrath that you have to pour upon them, I want you to put upon me. And in the eyes of God, we were then justified. We are reconciled by his death, but we are justified By his blood. And when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us through our sin. He looks at us through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22, if you want to write that down in your margins. It clearly says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9.22 says all things are purged by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And just like this flag, the red stripes running through it represent the blood of many, many soldiers that laid down their life to give us the freedom to live in this country, to express our religious beliefs, to do the things that we do each and every day. Men have shed their blood, risked their lives, and fought a fight that we couldn't fight. 
They paid a price that we couldn't pay. And so when you look at that cross of Calvary, the same thing happened there. One man shed his blood for crimes that he didn't commit. One man, one innocent person shed his blood for us to have remission of our sins. For us to be reconciled with God the Father. And for us to be justified and to live a life that's pleasing to him. If you remember back in the book of Exodus, when you talk about the blood, when you talk about God looking at us through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last plague when the children of Israel were in Egypt, God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the angel of death and he's going to kill the firstborn of every family. He said, but here's what I want you to do. Here's one thing that he's going to look for. If you will take an innocent lamb and sacrifice him. And then take his blood and strike it on the doorpost and on the head post of your door. He said, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass by. And that plague will not come upon you. And so when the blood is applied to your life, that's what God does. He says, when I see the blood applied to your life and your life and your life, my wrath is not going to come upon you. You won't have to suffer the plague of death, and I'll give you eternal life. Jesus' blood was shed for us. He was that Passover lamb. He was that innocent lamb. And when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification means that we who were once guilty have been set free. We have received a pardon from the righteous judge, but we are not free to continue a sinful lifestyle. God says, when I set you free and you become my child, I expect you to act like one and think like one. And conduct yourself in a way that is pleasing to me. And not go back to that old sinful lifestyle that I have saved you from. Write this verse down in your margin. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9. You can turn there if you want to. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Let me repeat that again. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Folks, just because you have been justified, 
Just because you have been set free by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't give you a right to go and live your life any way you choose. Just, just like living in this country, we, we are free to do and go as we choose and as we please, but there are certain guidelines that we are to conduct ourselves as citizens of the United States of America. And we, 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 when we have been set free by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us guidelines. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. They're written right here for anybody to look at and see. And God says, here's how I want you to live. And there are certain ways that we can look at people and say, I, I believe that person is a Christian. Because I see that there are certain things that they do and there are certain things that they don't do. I see what they practice on a regular basis. I, I believe that person loves the Lord. And several times throughout the Bible, God gives us a list of the works of the flesh. Lust, pride, greed, hatred. All of those things are what a person, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, practices. But the fruits of the Spirit are this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What are the benefits of justification? Write these down. I got five of them. Here, here are five benefits that we have received because of our justification. Number one, we have peace. No, no longer enemies of God. No longer at enmity with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second benefit that we have of our justification is access. Look at verse 2. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Folks, you don't have to wait till Sunday morning to have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. 24-7, 365. His grace is available to you. When you call out to him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As a believer, you have constant access to the throne of God because you have been justified in the eyes of God. The third benefit that we have of justification is joy. Man, if you're a Christian, if you're an American, you, you should have just this overflowing joy coming out of your life each and every day. Because you are no longer living in condemnation. You have been reconciled to God. You're at peace with him. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Order is important. The fourth benefit that we have from justification is hope. Man, we have something to hope for. I, I don't have to be concerned about spending an eternity in hell because I have been saved. I have been reconciled. I have been set free and I no longer live in condemnation. But now heaven is my home. I have peace with God and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. That's the hope that I have. That's the hope that I cling to. Is that one of these days, just like we sang in this song, 
a few moments ago. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freely forgiving. And one day he's coming, oh, glorious day. That is the hope that I have in my life. And I wake up every single morning, Lord, is this going to be the day when that trumpet's going to sound? And we hear that shout from heaven. And we rise to meet him in the air. I've often thought about what is he going to shout? What kind of a statement is he going to make as he comes to get us? I I think it's going to be this. I, I can't prove this in the scriptures anywhere. But I think that when he comes back, here's what he's going to say. Ready or not. Here I come. (laughs) Because it's going to happen just like that. In a moment when you think not, Jesus is going to part that eastern sky. And he said as fast as the lightning flashes from the east to the west. In the twinkling of an eye, just as quickly as you can bat your eye, that's how it's going to happen. We're going to rise to meet him in the air. And forever we'll be with him. Because we have been justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we are not set free to do just whatever makes us happy. We're happy because we're saved. But we are set free to do what glorifies God. As a child of God, as a believer, as a blood-bought, born-again believer, when you do something... That should be the first thing that comes through your mind. Is this going to bring glory to God? Because he died to set me free. He did not die for me to go back to my old sinful ways. Let's move on along. Point number four. The next thing we see is that we receive the righteousness of Christ through imputation. The word imputed is found uh, in verse 13, the verses I picked out imply this imputed righteousness that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 20 through 21, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's another word that is related to the judicial system. It's the word imputed. It's an old accounting term. In the Greek it is the word elegagio, and it means to have a recorded list. Because you see at one time, before a person enters into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, You have this long list of sins. Boy, they're written down. They're recorded. And you have all of these sins that are stacked up against you. But what happens at the moment of salvation? God takes that list of sins and he crumbles them up. And he says, you know what? That doesn't matter anymore. Those sins are not imputed to you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because those sins are then imputed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment he died, all of our sins were cast upon him. They were imputed. They were put on his list and taken off of ours. And then what happened at that moment is his righteousness is then imputed upon us. 
Because God has wiped away all of our sins. He has made the slate clean. And we are getting a fresh start in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not keep a record of our sin. Instead, he places it all on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4.8, if you want to look over there real quick, should be on the opposite page in most of your Bibles. Romans 4.8 declares this. It says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Back up in Romans 4.6, it says, David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from his works. Write down this verse, Psalms 103, verse 12. It says this, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord has moved our transgressions from us. When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, when God's grace pours out over us, he wipes away all of our sins and he says, you know what? That doesn't matter anymore. I do not hold that against you and I do not count those. Our sin is removed from us and imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ and then his righteousness is imputed upon us. In place of our sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this. says that God made Jesus to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. But this imputed righteousness is not to say. Look what I've done. But it's to say look what Christ has done for me. You can't take credit for none of it. Because the work was done on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. All of our sins, past, present, and future. When Jesus' blood was shed, we were justified. And his righteousness was then imputed upon us. Last but not least, to reveal the depth of God's love for mankind, the cross of Calvary serves as a demonstration. Verse 8. Verse 8 describes what Jesus set out to do 2,000 years ago. He said, I've never met Tracy Smith before. I don't know what kind of life he's going to live. But I'm willing to die for his sins. And God said, I love Tracy Smith so much that I'm willing to show it. I'm willing to prove it. I'm willing to leave some evidence for all to see. And it's the cross of Calvary right there. And anytime you look at that cross, it's on our Christian flag over here. Some of you wear it as a gold pendant around your, your neck. We see them all over the place. And anytime you see a cross, you should say that is God's demonstration of showing me how much he loved me. Romans 5 eight. God demonstrated his love towards us. And here's the incredible part. That while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Somebody ought to be shouting hallelujah on that one. Because that is beyond our comprehension. Is that one man would die in the place of someone. 
millions of someones who he had never met, who knew they were going to be born in sin, who knew that they weren't going to be able to live the lifestyle that they needed to live, who knew that they weren't going to be able to work hard enough or pay for their sins on their own. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God said, let's show everyone the depth of my love for them. And so Jesus came to this this earth. He lived a perfect life. God himself came to this world and wrapped himself in flesh and blood. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he shall save their people from their sins. He had every opportunity to do it. Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Three different times Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he defeated Satan. And then he lived his life out only to die on the cross. For people that he would never meet. For sins that he would never commit. Because we were under condemnation. The judgment was set. Death. Eternity in hell. You're born with a sin nature. Then God began this process of reconciliation. Making us to be at peace with him once more. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have justification, just if I had never sinned. And now his righteousness is imputed upon us. And the cross of Calvary still stands as a demonstration of God's love for us. Just like old glory stands for a demonstration of freedom as Americans. Look, we saw flags everywhere yesterday. We saw flags on boats. We saw flags on golf carts. We had a banner of our own. We got little flags out there. And anytime you see one of those, you should say, thank God I'm an American. Thank the Lord I live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I thank the Lord who are willing, uh, for those who are still willing to serve our country, those who have served the country in the past, I thank you so much. And there are men and women that I'll never meet who have fought for my freedom. And I owe them so much. And on this day, on Tuesday, on July 4th, we celebrate our independence as a nation that was founded because of our religious freedom and liberty and a desire to worship the Lord in a way that we choose. This flag stands as a demonstration of that freedom that we have. 50 stars for all 50 states, white for purity, blood, uh, red for the blood that was shed. That cross right there stands for so much more. Many, many men died for that flag so that we can be free. But one man gave his life and died on an old rugged cross as a demonstration of God's love for us. A quote at the bottom of your outline, Mel Lawrence said this, Freedom is not just freedom from restraint. Freedom is freedom to do what God has empowered you to do. God 
shed his grace on thee. As a country, that is our motto. One nation under God. Let me ask you this though. Has God shed his grace upon your life? Do you know for sure that you have been set free from the penalty of sin? And if you have, are you living the life that reflects someone who has been set free from the penalty of sin? Later on in Romans chapter 6, Paul said this. He said, sin shall not have dominion over you. It shall not empower you. It shall not hold you a prisoner any longer. For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Have you been set free from the penalty of sin? Do you know for sure that if you died today, where you'd spend eternity at? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you can't answer that question with assurance, with confidence, with the ability of knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you say, Brother Tracy, I just, I don't know for sure where I'll spend eternity at. I'm going to tell you right now, the first step that you need to make is you need to admit that you're separated from God by sin. Maybe you've never knelt down and confessed your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask him to forgive you for your sins. The first thing you need to do is admit that. The second thing you need to do is you need to believe. You need to believe that God demonstrated his love for us. By sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. You need to say Lord I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose up three days later. And I believe that you're coming back to get those who belong to you. And the third thing you need to do is you need to confess and commit your life to him. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me and make me a new person. And you say, God, I want to commit my life to following you for the rest of my days. I know it's going to be tough. I know that living for the Lord is not the easiest thing in the world. I know that for some of you, it's a big lifestyle change. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. That's where our term born again comes from. It's just like you're starting your life all over again. Because your sin debt has been erased. The slate is made clean. And God says, I'm making you a new creation. If that's a decision you've never made, I urge you to do that here in just a moment as soon as the music begins. Nobody's going to be looking around. Every head's going to be bowed. Every eye's going to be closed. The cameras are off. We don't make our invitation time public. Nobody's going to be Looking into your business, nobody's going to be nosy, nobody's going to be judgmental. But I just urge you to do business with the Lord today. 
If you're here today and you're still struggling with the besetting sin, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are a Christian. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've given your life to the Lord, but there's something you're still struggling with. You come to this altar, you say, God, make me free from the burden that I'm bearing. Help me to overcome this. Lord, I, I don't want sin to have dominion over me. You ask him to give you that help and that relief that you need, and he will. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today. We thank you so much for all that you're doing. I pray that during this invitation time, Lord God, that you would stir hearts. That people will respond to what you're saying to them. If there's anyone here, Lord God, that doesn't know you, that's struggling with that decision, that you would change their life forevermore. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's the preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.